Hello, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Mark. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to on the Blue Box podcast. Brought to you by Starburst Magazine. Nice one, Mark. Starburstmagazine.com Right, this week we're going to have a theme. We're going to have a theme every week from now on, After now that we've got the uh, opening episode out of our system. <laughs> and uh, the theme this week, well, we're going to talk about returning monsters. Yay, yeah. Definitely up for that. Well, that could last for a long 10 years, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is a long game. Well, well, returning monsters is part of the absolute fabric of Doctor Who, really, isn't it? Well, part of it, yeah. I mean, new monsters, obviously you need a new monster for it to become a returning monster in the future. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what always gets me? Is people who say... People who say they've got too many returning monsters these days. We've got ten stories a year in which two might feature Silurians and Daleks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you've got eight, eight stories in which you've got new monsters as well. It's the same ratio the series has always had. It's just that with twice as many stories a year as you used to have back in the 1970s, it seems like you've got returning monsters twice as often. Yeah, I think you're right there. It does feel like that. But it's the same ratio, yeah. But you also need that because obviously you want to capture all the classic episode lovers like us. Yeah. Um, plus all the new kids who are going to be saying, oh, what's that? Oh, oh, there is another DVD with that on it. Let's go and find out about that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, mm. the number of times you could be in WH Smith or HMV or wherever and you see you know, a couple of 10-year-old kids with their mum looking at the DVD shelves and they've probably gone in there to look for new Doctor Who and they see the racks of the old Doctor Who, they see a story with a picture of a Dalek or a Cyberman on the front, they know instantly what it is. Yeah, exactly. And that's more likely to get them to buy an old series story than, I don't know, maybe The Deadly Assassin or something, where they won't recognise what's on the front. Which is a shame, because that's a great story. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, you know, as long as you get them drawn in in the first Mm. place, then they're going to want to find out afterwards. Ah, but if you then tell them that that strange, ugly creature on the front of the Deadly Assassin is the master... Well, yeah. There we are. That probably wasn't the best example <laughs> to pick, then. Not terribly. I should have picked something like Megalos instead. Classic story. Ooh. Bone of contention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mark, tell us about Megalos. <laughs> Anything with Tom Baker in has got to be good. And that's got two Tom Bakers in, hasn't exactly. it? So twice as good. You can't argue with that. And Jackie Hill as well, who was a legend. Yes, she was. And she was brilliant in that, actually. She was. And, and the only piece of brilliance next to Tom and Lala. Mm. I'm afraid to say. Do you know, I... Megalos is one of those stories I kind of got a soft spot for because it's just so daft. I don't. It's, it's dull. Oh, it's dull. There's nothing to it. They, they. There isn't anything to tell it. Me, to tell, be fair. Please tell me the plot, and well, I bet you can do it in twelve seconds. Well, they uh, all turn up. They all run around a bit, and they all go away again. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That's exactly it. Well, don't forget the dodecahedron. Isn't that the plot of any Doctor <laughs> Who story, though? Dodecahedron. It's good work. It's got, do you know what, though? The guys who wrote that were the guys who wrote Sleepers, weren't they? Flanagan and McCulloch? Yeah, they yes. wrote Sleepers. That's right. Sleepers was a great series. Mm. Have you got, seen Sleepers? I have. It was really good. You've got to cut yeah. your teeth on something, though, I suppose. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Sleepers was actually directed by Jeffrey Sachs, who did the TV movie. He did, yeah. Okay, Returning Monster. You Megalos. thought I knew nothing about directors. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no was, but, let's talk about Megalos just for a second. As wasn't a he supposed monster. to come back in the lodger at one point? Oh, yeah. that's According to Gareth Roberts, that's mm. true. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the weird thing was, and this is presumably because Stephen Moffat wanted to tie it into his overall story arc, but they took this story, which 
for 45 minutes was building up to the appearance of something or someone who was behind all these mysterious events that were taking place in this attic room. And then they took the attic room and they took the villain out. And all of a sudden, the lodger, 45 minutes building up to nothing. But isn't that the point? Because I thought the silence were in there. Because you're well, going to forget, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You see him, then you forget. Yeah. Well, that's the point so now. Point. But at the time, yeah. at the time it was first broadcast, <clears> it just seemed like you got to the end of the story and you were left waiting for the next episode, really. Ah, yeah, but how many of us were thinking, Master, Rani, that looks like a TARDIS to me. Mm. It did look like that, the Rani's TARDIS a bit, I thought. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody said it. It was like yeah. the hexagonal thing going, it looked like a TARDIS, yeah. It did. And in the end, it turned out it wasn't a TARDIS. But I have to say, one of the ones from that series that I could watch again and again, even if it doesn't perhaps get all neatly tied up in a bow. Mm. Oh, it's really enjoyable. Yeah, it's fun. I have to say, though, I don't think there's any episode in that entire series that I really have a hankering ever to rewatch. I think that's where we disagree. Yeah, Series 6. I can go back and watch all the Stephen Moffat episodes in Series 6. Let's kill Hitler. There are some great... I just... There's something... There's a rewatchability factor about Doctor Who, isn't there? Some mm. episodes have it and some episodes mm. don't mm. especially. I mean <clears throat> I can watch any of the Robert Holmes stories from the classic series over and over again. Mm. You know, once a year, every year, once every six months even maybe. Even the Crotons. Even the Crotons. I like the Crotons. Yeah. It's now, before he really hit his stride. I think, but it's got him in there. Yeah, it's true. And I think that actually the the idea of the Crotons is quite good. I quite like them. That they're made out of crystalline elements. And yeah. I think somewhere, maybe in one of the books or one of the podcast, uh, sorry, the audio dramas, they brought the crotons back and explained them a bit more, made them a bit hard. Yeah, there is an um, audio drama, yeah. Yeah, and it would be quite nice to see them reinvented for the CGI age. Yes, it would. I mean, Robert Holmes always came up with sort of quite corny and quite pulpy sort of <laughs> B-movie ideas, but that worked. You know, yeah. the, reason, the reason an idea is in a B-movie is because it worked. Because a B-movie is, by definition, low budget, lowest common denominator. The idea has to appeal. Mm. So ideas in B-movies almost always work really well. And, you know, it's only the low budget and the paucity of quality in the acting that makes it a B-movie rather than an A-movie. But, I mean, look at the kind of money they threw at Independence Day. That's a B-movie with a Mm. huge budget. And yeah. it works really well, and it appealed to a massive audience. It did. There's one problem. Go on. It wasn't as good as a B movie. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I, I first time I, I saw Independence that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, first time I saw Independence Day, I absolutely hated it. Second time I saw it, I absolutely loved it. So yeah, third time I saw it, I, I absolutely hated it. Yeah. And the first two times, strangely enough, I absolutely hated it. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and they just turn up on, on days I, I, when we've got Mark, nothing I think we'll just have this conversation without Lee for a minute. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> so what were you saying? <laughs> we were supposed to be talking about returning, returning monsters, monsters, weren't oh, we? Oh, yeah, yeah. We well, did. I've already done Megalos and the Crotons. Your mm. turn. <laughs> well, Megalos and the Crotons both featured monsters that didn't return. <laughs> no, I, these are ones I want to return. Oh, oh Sorry, that's fair you, enough. Were you okay. around something? Do you want us to go to... Oh, no, no, no. Classic series kind of returning monsters. And well, I was only going to say, yeah. and this is, you know, if you read Starburst magazine, you'll know that this episode of the podcast now is themed around this because that's the subject of the watching Doctor Who in the latest edition of Starburst magazine. Mm. And uh, that, and although we're not going to just go over that ground, but I do start that article with a contention that the most important Doctor Who story there has ever been is 
the Dalek invasion of Earth. And why would that be? Well, I mean, everybody says, oh no, but such and such must be more important because they like it more, or for whatever reason. Dalek Invasion of Earth is the first time that the series had addressed its own continuity. The first time a character or a monster or whatever had returned from one story to take part in another. Mm. Prior to the Dalek Invasion of Earth, the whole ethos of the series was that every story would be in a completely different time, Mm. a completely different place, and with a completely different set of characters. And the Dalek Invasion of Earth is the very first time anybody on that series said, no, we don't always have to be somewhere different. But obviously it must be the success of the Daleks. The success was so huge. Well, the success of the Daleks was huge, yeah. You then start thinking, okay, we'll we'll bring it back again. And then suddenly uh, somebody says, do you know something? You could make those and sell those at Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) But my contention is, as popular as the Daleks were in the first story, if somebody hadn't stopped and said, right, let's have them back, they would never have taken off in the way they did. I'm saying at some point, somebody must have sat down and said, right, regardless of the concept we've set ourselves Mm. in which we say we never will go back to the same place we never will have the same character back somebody sat down and said no stop right there we'll do that most of the time and some of the time we'll have somebody back so uh, the second returning monster was that the cybermen did Um, you really have no other returning well it depends what you're going to classify as monster Time meddler. Yeah, the meddling monk. Yeah. Not really a monster. He no, not a monster, but he's a returning a, character. A returning character. A returning okay, villain, yeah, if yeah. you like. Yeah, yeah. He was okay. a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what your strict definitions are going to be, but monsters and villains. Yeah, I'm getting petty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I suppose That's unusual for Doctor Who fans. <laughs> I mean, is the master a monster? Going back to the subject of the deadly assassin. Okay. Well, you <laughs> he know, is real, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> so is Hitler. Okay, um, yeah, we ought to have him back. <laughs> oh, I, he's still in a cupboard somewhere. Somebody's <laughs> got to let him out. I've got to say that you, you, that was a great moment. I really enjoyed that a lot. Mm. I found that Rory hit him as well because yeah. Rory is such a feckless guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then bunged him in a cupboard. <clears throat> if you're going to do the most evil man in the history of planet Earth, just chuck him in a cupboard yeah, for exactly. the entire episode. Why not? After the title, Let's Kill Hitler. Fantastic. That's great, though, because the amazing thing about that is you call it Let's Kill Hitler, and the audience at home thinks, Doctor Who's a fun series. You can't do Hitler in a series that's supposed to be fun because you're going to have to take it too seriously. So what do you do? You completely sideline the character and make the whole episode about something else entirely. And yes, Hitler should be a figure of fun. Yeah, and he should be sidelined exactly like that. Yeah, because otherwise you're giving him too much importance. Too much airspace. Yeah, he's yeah. not somebody you should dwell on, really. No, so I don't want him as a returning monster. No, okay, we sorted that out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all agree on that. Yeah, but how about you know going back? I mean, we all love a bit of William Hartnell, a bit of Patrick Troughton, uh, a bit of John Pertwee. Okay? Well, a bit of Patrick Troughton's all we're ever going to get. <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah it? it's a re- that's unfortunate. But how about you know the monster era was was Pat's. Yeah, it wasn't it. Mm. Well, series five, season five, season five. Yeah. yeah, so it was packed full of stuff, and that's what they wanted—more and more out of space creatures. Well, this is another contention I've made: is yeah. that Doctor Who didn't become Doctor Who until series five, season five. What? What do you mean? The kind of pattern for? Well, Doctor Who now is 
the program with the monsters. The program that puts the viewers behind the sofa. But up until season five, Doctor Who wasn't the program with the monsters. And it wasn't the program that put the viewers behind the sofa. Occasionally it was scary. Occasionally it had monsters. But you were just as likely to end up in the, you know, Jacobite revolution, whatever. Mm. You know, running around with the Highlanders. than you were with Daleks or Cybermen or whatever. It wasn't until season five when you actually the story that didn't have the monsters was the odd one out rather than the other way around that Doctor Who became Doctor Who. So, I mean, the first four years of that program was finding its feet and in season five, that's when it did find its feet. Mm. But then the funny thing is, it then pulled away again from that in season six and season seven and didn't then become the monster show until season eight. Season eight is when the monsters are bedded in for the long run, really. Yeah, you are. I mean, season seven. I love season seven. Um, I'm sure the people out there don't like it at all. It reminds me, it's, it's got the Quatermass thing going on. And, and, yeah. and Doomwatch and all that early 1970s sci-fi, which I adore. So, you know, I love all of that kind of stuff. But you're right. The monsters were almost just added in for effect. That are not the Silurians, well, the I suppose, were. but the primals were definitely yeah. crowbarred in. Barry Letts said, yeah. there's no monsters. We've got seven weeks without a single monster. <laughs> Put a, like, werewolf thing in and we're happy. <laughs> Off we go, yeah. Yeah. And, and it worked. And the Ambassadors of Death, I mean, it's got the two guys, three guys, whatever, in the spacesuits, mm. but you could hardly really call them monsters. And how many times did they take off their helmets in, like, three and a half hours of telly? Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, apart from Spearhead from Space, which is the obvious odd one out in that season anyway, season seven is one of those funny seasons where I like the four stories that make the season up, but I would find it a nightmare to sit down and watch those 25 episodes back to back. Really? Yeah, I couldn't do it. <clears throat> I've done it. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> I've done it. Really? I've done it. How was it? It was great. I, you know, I started on a Sunday, 9 o'clock in the morning, and carried on. By the time it finished, about 10 o'clock at night. But it, a, a bit later. All maybe. in one day? All in one day, yeah. I sped wow. up a few. <laughs> 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 just, just a couple. But um, yeah, no, I, I had to do it. It was fantastic. See, I can... somebody, somebody bet me I couldn't do it. Just oh, like wow. you almost did then. But I, I have. <laughs> I could do that with, I don't I, know, the Hinchcliffe seasons, I did, maybe. I did weaken a little bit to Ambassadors, i got to say. By that point, I was kind of flagging. Yeah. And then Inferno picked me up. Well, of course, <laughs> as we've said, that's not how you're supposed to watch it anyway. <laughs> I think what I'm saying is, yeah. if I was to choose a season of Doctor Who to sit down and just watch, in order, like the way I first saw it, it wouldn't be season seven. I like the mm. four stories. Don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't... You know, if I was watching all four stories of season seven, I'd watch other stories in between. Yeah, 25 weeks. <laughs> Just for a bit of variety. I mean, it is, you know, Barry Letts and Terence Dix are on record any number of times for saying there's only so many ways you can do an Earth invasion story from within, from without, mad scientist, whatever. And that, you know, season seven covers it, doesn't it? Mm. And it covers it so well, there's nowhere really for the program to go after that. Which is why mm. season eight goes monsters, goes dayglow, goes mad, stories don't make any sense anymore, it's all just a bit of fun. <laughs> it's daft, it's crazy, and it's enjoyable. And, you know, season eight is where, you know, season eight is where the Doctor Who that we know today, particularly Rusty Davis, Rusty Davis era, is season eight all over. That's where Doctor Who was born. In season five, that's where the Doctor Who that we know these days gestated, shall we say. And season eight is where it was born. 
Mm. Oh, we've gone so far off topic. <laughs> and yeah. Mark's asleep Mark in the corner yeah, there. Sorry, I'm no, I'm just fascinated. Mark's I'm making a return of his yeah. own now. <laughs> Mark, you are tonight's returning monster. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is a podcast. Uh, you know, you can listen to us any time. And you can also, I presume, reply uh, and, uh, and give us your opinions. Is that right? How, how would they get hold of us? Well, I suppose they could tweet us. Okay. I suppose, us? actually, if they're going to tweet for the show, they should probably tweet of my Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, we won't... Okay, I'm Twitter forward slash JR, one of those underliny things, Southall. <laughs> so there you go. Underscore. I don't know what it's called. The reason why I asked. Do you know what it's called? Underscore. 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 JR why... underscore Southall. The reason why I got you to do that is because you, you are a bit, of, you're not a Luddite as such, are you? But you, you don't do email and you, <laughs> Twitter is new to you and Facebook. You're looking at me like you want to kill me, but it's true. I <laughs> know, oh, it it's was true, true up know. until about a year ago when I did my book. Yeah, that's true. And when I did my book, I had to take all these things completely on board and totally... I mean, when I first got the computer, it was just a tool to use for writing. Mm. And that's all I really used it for. But since when I did the book, I had to get a Twitter account and I had to start using Facebook more as a tool. And so since I did the book, my Luddite ways have been left behind. Yeah. Very good. Well done. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century, <laughs> 12 years later. It's um, the 21st century. <laughs> I don't know, is it? <laughs> I'm still living in 1971. Anyway, yeah. returning monsters. Returning monsters. Well, yeah. We're well, supposed to be doing a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ice Mark, Warriors. Come on. Ice Warriors. Now, the... Go on, Mike. You the have per... something to say about the Ice Warriors. Well, they're kind of a, they were a bit of a staple of the, the Pat Troughton era. And then... They disappeared. Well, admittedly, it wasn't perhaps the finest hour in Doctor Who, but they did bring them back for the Peladon stories, and it kind of gave it a bit of a twist because you were expecting them to be the bad guys, and it turned out they weren't. Do you know the big problem with the Ice Warriors is... They're very slow. They work okay in black and white, particularly, you know, at a time when Doctor Who was at its cheapest and had its, you know, smallest viewing figures. Mm. You know, and this is not to denigrate the Patrick Troughton years because I absolutely love them. They're great fun telly, mm. but it's not it's not expensive, good looking telly by mm. any stretch of the mm. imagination. And the Ice Warriors fit in with that okay, but then you have the Peladon stories, and all of a sudden the Ice Warriors look a little bit like lumbering dinosaurs. Mm. And it's you know, I know people love the Ice Warriors, but to me it's no surprise that. You know, after the monster of Peladon, they never came back. They're, they're quite iconic, but they may, I agree. I don't know whether they were the best. I don't know what you the, could do with them, I mean, quite honestly. Desi- Design-wise, I mean, there's a, there's a mixture, isn't there, of thought mm. that they, they are iconic. Mm. And as a kid, they're really, they're really they great. They look really fantastic cool. in photographs. They look fantastic, yeah. You love as soon it. as they start moving and speaking. when they No, no the, mo- the movement, <laughs> yes, terrible speaking, Doctor, it's absolutely fantastic. Whispering. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Do that again. Doctor. Yeah. That, you know. <laughs> Thank you. It's that and the sea devils really mixed up. But uh, <laughs> I can, I'm available for children's parties. Can you the, do the rest of the podcast in that voice? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Lee, we need you to do the rest of the podcast like this. 
But bring them back. You could do the same as the Silurians, can't you? You could mm. just redesign them entirely. Um, and think about where they came from. Think about Mars. Think about waters of Mars, who were mentioned, weren't they? Mm. And and maybe their struggle with that weird water menace. <laughs> what kind of you know? What kind yeah, of creatures could they be? What kind of splinter group could there be? Um, yeah, I think you could do the Ice Warriors in story terms. But in design terms, have to be I yeah, I don't really see how you can redesign it because I like the Silurians, which is just lizard men. Mm-hmm. If you take lizard men as a template, you can pretty much do anything with it. And, you know, the new Silurians do look a damned thing like the original Silurians, but they're still lizard men. So it still works and you can still mm-hmm. call them Eocenes or Homo reptilia or whatever. But the ice warriors are supposed to be turtle men. and there's no escaping from that shell. They can't not have the shell. Gaz Roberts could do it. He did the Chelonians. He brought in the Chelonians, which are... Yeah, but we've never fight, seen them on the telly, have we? turtles, and they look great. <laughs> but we've never seen them on the telly. Well, and we're never going to. No, well, maybe not, but they were mentioned, actually. In, uh, yeah, they were Pandora, mentioned, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But did, there are some concepts that just... I don't know, Ice Warriors... Everybody keeps saying, oh, they're going to bring them back this year, they're going to bring them back next year. They want year. them back. Everybody wants them back. So People do. What... I don't. No. Okay. But well, how about you, Mark? Do you want the Ice Warriors back? I think it'd be quite fun to see them reimagined. Of course They'd Mark have to be wants different. the Ice Warriors back. He brought them up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... We, we haven't might... even talked about Cybermen yet. Exactly. It would be great to go to Mars at a time when they were in, in full power. Mm. What oh, would, that would what make would an world... interesting episode. Yeah. yeah. What, what would their world look like then? You know, what kind of people are they? Because you know that you can get good and bad ice warriors. So that's, it sounds like a reasonably complex creature, possibly. A society. But you're right, iconically, and, you know, they look great, but they are lumbering dinosaurs, very hard to... They'd have to be redesigned entirely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't do it. Of course they can do it, and of course they will do it. And for all I know, they're probably going to be in, you know, one of Chris Chibnall's episodes in December. And, you know, in about eight months time however long it is i'll be eating my words yeah but just at this moment i can't picture what they could do with the ice warriors you will have the plastic figure on your shelf at home i've got the plastic figure of the ice warriors on my shelf (laughs) i know what you're saying i know okay then mr jow if you had if you were to bring a classic monster back okay that hasn't been brought back in a new series who would you bring back i wouldn't be the zygons i tell you that no no i tell you one thing about the zygons Classic, classic design. Okay story. Not a great story, but a a story that gets away with it by having been so well directed and so well designed and having such a great core idea. It gets away with having a really wishy-washy fourth episode. Mm. But for three episodes, it's fantastic. So it's a good story, but not a great story. But it's such a classic design. And... That design fits that story. Mm-hmm. If the Zygons came back now, they wouldn't look the same. They'd be redesigned. And they wouldn't be in Terror of the Zygons. They'd be in, you know, a story by Chris Chibnall or somebody. <laughs> He'd do a Hungry Earth on them. <laughs> you know, people will say, oh, they were so great. We must have them back. No, if they were that great, you leave them in amber to be that great, always, in that one great story. I've learned something in this podcast. You're a Chibnall basher, aren't you? Um, <laughs> he's got a well, chip on his shoulder. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Oh, Mark. Oh, I don't mean That's to. too good. <clears throat> um, I actually like Hungry Earth. For all its faults, oh, I think it's a, a great, thoroughly in, 
entertaining piece of television. Okay. What that about, story. What about the second part? Oh, no, when I say Hungry Earth, I mean both the parts. Whole, whole Sorry, yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Many Earth? Who were we talking about? Which monster? I've completely forgotten. Oh, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about something else. No, no, you I were asking me what I would want back. Zygons. No, the reason why I want to get back to those is because they have been portrayed in one of the BBC books. Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't like that book at all. I didn't, I thought oh, it was, neither I thought did it, I. It was really mm. badly written. Mm. Um, it had a great setting again. It's back in Scotland. I think. It was all Lake Scotland in early 20th century. Yeah, which, and, you yeah. know, obviously you're trying to emulate the same feeling as the terror of the Zygons. But... Um, they did, uh, no, who's they, who's they, BBV, I think it is, who did, like, all the yeah. adventures in time and space. There was a great one called The Barnacled Baby. Go and seek it out. It's not that bad. It's an audio story, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's an audio yeah. story. It's an audio play. Yeah. And it's got a, a crashed Zygon uh, in Victorian London, and it's and it's been put in a freak show. And, uh, oh, and yeah, it, it, so it I remember. It eventually yeah. becomes quite, you know, it is intelligent, but, it, you know, has some milk somewhere which i'm not going to go into now and then it gets more and more stronger and you know something happens at the end which is actually very amusing and quite clever and funny uh on a quite a grand scale and i thought for a story that was one of the best at that entire range i loved it and it also had the Zygons, which sound exactly like as long as we can get him to keep doing that impression <laughs> we're fine we're sorted <laughs> You mentioned Cybermen, yeah. But would you have the Zygons back? Uh, we'll come back to the Cybermen. Yeah, I think we should come back to the Cybermen because that's a huge one. Um, I, I really want them back, but they would have to handle it beautifully. Otherwise, I'd probably yeah, be with a pitchfork at Stephen Moffat's house like you were in the last, last podcast. Week, yeah. <laughs> It'd have to be, yeah. I can't. Be perfect. See, thing is, if it's brilliant in the first place, don't touch it. If it ain't broke. You know... If you're going to remake something, if you're going to redo something, pick something that wasn't terribly good in the first place, and you can only improve on it. Macra. Well, well that was just an accident, really. You know, that story, the gridlock, I don't know why he didn't end the story with the Macra having created those conditions themselves that enabled them to have somewhere to live and feed off the population, because that tied in perfectly with their first appearance. In the, the first story, they were controlling humans to create the conditions that they needed mm. to feed upon. And in that second story, in Gridlock, it looked like exactly the same thing was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, the Doctor just says, oh, they've devolved. It was all an accident. They're just in the sewers by accident. Mm. When, you know, it could have been a great twist that they had created this Gridlock in the skies above because that's what they needed for food. I have a feeling um, that I read somewhere maybe people can write in and tell us whether they're right or wrong. That um, as Twitter R forward slash JR underscore Southall. <laughs> the RTD uh, did put it on as an afterthought because he wanted crabby, yeah, he did. crabby creatures. And so he just said, oh, well, why not make it a macro? And it's, it's fine. It's okay. I quite like the fact that they But all he would have had to right. do was change that one line of script they've devolved to uh, this is what they do. Yeah, that's true. And then it, it would have just worked exactly the same. They're the Dear macro. Russell, this is what they do. Dear Russell, this is JR here. <laughs> do you know, the funny thing was, I didn't have the internet at the time that story was broadcast. Mm. And I, I knew there was going to be some monster. Sorry, can I just stop you there? Did you hear that? Did you just hear what you just <laughs> yes, said? Yes, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> well, I didn't have the internet then. And I read the synopsis in the Radio Times. And I'd read in Doctor Who magazine there was going to be a returning monster that nobody would have expected. And that's all I knew. And I read the synopsis for the story. Gridlock, 
gas, creatures living and feeding off the gas. And I thought to myself, well, it's the macro, because the macro create a situation mm. in which all this gas is created for them to feed upon. So I guess the monster, right? But for completely the wrong reason. And if you changed that one line, <laughs> it would have all made sense. It would have been perfect, wouldn't it? So your, your main gripe <laughs> with the story is that they didn't write it the way that you would have written it. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Of let's, course. Let's march into the world of the Cybermen. No, no, no. We'll come back to the Cybermen. We haven't had yet which monster that's only ever appeared once would Mark like to see back in the okay. series. Mm, tricky. And to be fair, I've not said which one I would like back yet. Not I've only really. said which one I wouldn't. Yeah, come on. No, Mark. It's you. you your go. Oh, um... Silence. Right, a silence from Mark. So. <laughs> that, that's the sound of his hamster running around in his head, <laughs> in his little wheel. Just Okay then, JR, JR, what about you? Which would I like to see? I'll tell you what, the Draconians. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, good, good call. call. Mm. Oh, damn you, sir. Oh, <laughs> that's a good idea. I didn't even idea. stop the thing. I just <laughs> First one that popped into my head. Really? But no, the Draconians. See, Draconians so close to the Ice Warriors in terms of cast systems and you know society and things like that you don't need the ice warriors you just bring the draconians back and you can redesign them and keep the same basic shape on the head mm. and you know keep the sort of slightly oriental look to the costumes but you don't need those damn turtle shells on their backs and you know you're set they're just like, like the salarians though wouldn't they well yeah but then if you brought the ice warriors back so would they with a shell Bring them both back at the same time. Well, it would be interesting. <laughs> Actually, I saw this suggested on some forum or somewhere, you know, a year or two back. And somebody said, why not bring the Ice Warriors and the Draconians and have a great big feudal face-off manga style? Yeah, and that would be like the Teenage ne Mutant Ninja Turtles, wouldn't it? The Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Draconians. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you'd have. The Ice Warriors. Okay, Mark, you've had enough time. <laughs> yeah, you have been thinking yeah. while we've been well, talking, well, haven't you? Uh, I might be feigning thinking. Um, they, well, it kind of came back-ish, um, but not in the new series. It might be interesting to see the Mara, see how that would kind of play out to a modern audience. They'd have to give it a slightly different twist, possibly, but mm. it worked well. Certainly on Kinder, it worked well. Not I thought it worked really well in Snake Dance. Mm. I think I mm, don't know if I prefer Snake Dance to Kinder. Certainly those are my two favourite Peter Davison stories. Yeah, Kinder was a great story. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there were some great lines, wasn't there? Yeah, but I think the great thing about those stories isn't the story, it's the script. Mm. They've both got wonderful dialogue. Christopher Bailey wrote some wonderful, wonderful character. And they've got a nice idea at the back of them, but that idea would have counted for nothing if he hadn't written such great characters in both stories. So, uh, yeah, if you brought the Mara back, you'd have to get somebody of that quality to write it otherwise it, is, it would be it is, for you nothing know, it's all in the, there's a lot of mind to play mm. there isn't there yeah i mean amy's yeah. choice was was quite a nice I, I thought it was quite a nice kind of delve into the past like a mind robber and things like oh that. i have such problem with <laughs> amy's choice <laughs> I, I don't i'm not saying it was a great episode it, it, a lot of people really like that actually mm. i know other podcasts i've listened to they just go on and on about how good it is that mm. i see loads of faults in it but um do you want to know the I, biggest I enjoyed fault? It and I enjoyed it. And I think Namara could come back in a similar vein, in that kind of weird, strange, kind of spooky mind. Yeah, something you could do. You know, maybe something's going on. 
in the it head. It could do. You could do the Mara. Yeah, yeah. I'm not certainly not saying you couldn't. Hmm. I'd like it to be written well. My Amy's Choice. Well, there, I might as well say it. What's my biggest problem with Amy's Choice? It's like an Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie story when you say at the start, right, here we have a murder that's on the Orange Express and the investigator is going to investigate and find out that everybody did it. Yeah, you better make sure that's a spoiler on the podcast <laughs> title at the beginning. <laughs> By the way, we give away <laughs> the entire plot of Murder on the Orient Express. The policeman did it. <laughs> da, 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 da. Let's give away them all. But here's Amy's choice. And five minutes into Amy's choice, the villain turns up and says, hey, guys, I'm the villain. This is the story you're about to do for the next 40 minutes. And there's your mystery gone. It is, because I guessed who it was straight away. And it's it's like... Is it this world that's real or is it this world that's real? Well, we know that world's not real because that can't have happened. So we know the other real world is the real world. Mm. But then that can't be real either because it's just too obvious. So neither of them are actually real. I mean, you know, five minutes into the episode, you know exactly how it's going to finish. Why, a why, a why didn't they spend the entire first 25 minutes in the village with the same guy just mysteriously popping up in the butcher's shop in the baker's shop, in the candlestick maker's shop, <laughs> never with an explanation for why he had all these. He just turns up and they've got to spend the first 25 minutes working out that they're not in reality. Mm. And then they come out of that non-reality and don't realise that they're still in a fictional reality. And they have to then spend the next 15 minutes in the TARDIS with it getting colder and colder, working out again that they're still inside this Dream Lord's domain. You could have done it like that, and that story would have had such a mystery and such a atmosphere mm. as they had to work all these things out. But, you know, he turns up just after the opening titles, says, Hi guys, I'm the Dream Lord, and you're in my reality. <laughs> and that's... That's it. That's your story over and done with. If it had done it in that voice, I'd have turned off straight away. That's far too cheesy. You might be doing a slight disservice to Toby Jones there. Toby Jones is a great actor. That should have been a great part. And that story was really messed up. Shame. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I totally understand. It was. I, I agree with you that, that you should have started that way. That's very 1970s. Yeah, that that storytelling style. But I agree with you. I think it would have been brilliant like that. It would have been a proper mystery. Um, also, because I mean, the what are those things called that come out of the old. Oh yeah, was... yeah. You'd have them turn up like fifteen, twenty minutes into the episode, and everybody, including the audience at home, is thinking, "Oh, monster of the week," but they're not even real. Exactly. But you know, the entire village is—that'd be great. The entire village is—it's is, just full of old people that attack you. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic grannies. What more could you want? Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that segment of the story could have run for half an hour with the viewer always maybe one step ahead sometimes and maybe one step behind sometimes. Mm. The characters course, in working out that they're yeah, and of course the death of Rory would have felt been, real. Would have felt real. You'd have thought, yeah, he's, he's definitely gone this time. Whoa. Yeah, but as it was, it was like, well, he's only dead for this week because he's got to die next week again. <laughs> Cybermen, Mark. Cybermen, come on. Are you falling asleep down there? Uh, no, no, I'm fine. I mean, I don't know what your feelings are on the the new series take on it, but for me, they haven't really worked in the new series. They've missed so much. Uh, these guys up at BBC, uh, we've we've got the new Cybermen that have been designed by Lumic, okay, and uh, that have, have fallen through the void. Blah blah blah. They're marching around. Okay, that is the design for that parallel world. 
where are the Cybermen that are still within this reality? I know they're probably wiped out by the Pandora now, but uh, the Big Bang too. But well, they look the same now. Yeah, exactly. They just they, they have they a big cyber chest plate. But they we were have, they, going there to. There could be a separate faction that's still within this universe. That look different. That look different. So it's time to they, redesign them. Well, no, they were going to two years ago and they ran out of money. Oh, Apparently, really? that's the story I've heard. Hmm. The Cybermen that turned up in the Pandorica story at the end were going to be redesigned Cybermen. Hmm. And they just didn't have the money to do it because budgets are being pegged back all over the place. So I heard. Didn't didn't look like it, I've got to say. That was quite a big, massive ending, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it could have been so much bigger. I mean, you mentioned hmm. the Chelonians yourself. Imagine if they'd been in it, Cybermen redesigned had been in it. Mm. Dravins, they could have, they mentioned the Dravins. How difficult would it have been to get five blonde girls, put them in short skirts and get them there in the <laughs> Pandorica? They could have had the Dravins in it for you, have you seen virtually the cost- no extra money. Have you seen the Costa sequence? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I don't think that was what was holding them back. They should have had the Dravins in that. That I've got to say, that last talk about returning monsters. That's the worst case of returning monsters ever. Pandorica opens yeah, ever, ever. All of them, the alliance, so-called alliance, rubbish idea. It would never have worked. They all hate each other, and they would have backstabbed. Could have been. There's so many stories that could have been involved with that alliance. Yeah, that could be told. And in the end, the it series. was for a five. Well, it was for a twenty-second shot at the end of the episode. It was really. just a money shot. It was just there to tantalise and titillate everybody's taste buds and go oh wow that, and that, next that, week that. you're going to come back and you're going to find out what happens when the Cybermen and the Santarans and the Silurians and the Daleks and this and that and the other all get together and then you come back a week later and there's none of them left exactly. they've all been turned to stone yeah very very bad that was that was yeah. just like dimensions in time all over again <laughs> I thought of one that would if they could use modern budget to oh really... sweet here comes Mark only 20 <laughs> minutes behind the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> Go, Mark. Go on. One word. Yeah. Sutek. <gasps> yeah. I mean, he's stuck in a time warp. The only way they could bring him back is if they brought him through the Ark of Infinity. You're getting what? too nerdy for me. No, 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 no. That's a good point. Why not? That's well, great. they could that's do. That's that timey-wimey stuff. That's right Absolutely. up Stevens Street. I don't... I wouldn't see the point of bringing back Sutek. Why not just make something else that was like Sutek and that was already free? You couldn't have the mummies. That's another iconic monster that mm. couldn't be brought back because they just it only ridiculous. fit in that one story. Mm. Yeah, you're right. But Sutek could be brought back. You know, he, yeah, I think so. I mean, we need an we need an Egyptian. Oh, maybe. Uh, see, uh, episode, don't we? Really? Yeah, um, it doesn't cost that much to go to Egypt. They could film them in the pyramids. Well, cool. you might be quite pleasantly surprised by this year's episode two. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, not <laughs> really. <Sutek's> back. <laughs> I mean, is it? I, people are saying it's Nefertiti in the trailer. It's in the trailer, Ooh, so Nefertiti. it's out there in the. You know, it's, yeah. I must have blinked when that came up. Well, there's a shot in the trailer of somebody who looks like they might be Nefertiti, but then the guy who's standing at the other side of the shot is wearing a suit, so it could just be somebody who's on stage in Camden playing Nefertiti in a play. Yeah, you're right. It could be anything. I mean, let's face it, we had... um, Didn't we have a bit of Egypt in one of the last episodes? Area 51 or whatever it was. Area 52, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In the wedding of Riversong. Yeah, with Winston Churchill a, walking around and well, they're on yeah, absolutely uh, mental. And the <laughs> all the stuff with the silence takes place on the inside yeah. of a pyramid. Yes, yeah. See, they miss. <laughs> Stephen Moffat does this story with all of time happening at once. 
Isn't that what the time war was anyway? Mm. I mean, you know, if I had been the showrunner on Doctor Who, and if I had been persuaded to do the time war, how would I have done it? I would have done all of time happening at once. And then Stephen Moffat goes and does it and kind of just throws it away on this story that's going to be about the silence and River Song getting married to the Yeah, Doctor. I mean, I've got to say, those those huge ideas are wasted quite quickly. And it's a yeah. shame. And if you go out and buy, I'll just slightly sidetrack. If you go out and buy a book called Einstein's Dreams, by I think his name is Alan Lightman, it's a very tiny book full of tiny little stories about ideas that Einstein <laughs> had. No, no. My point is, <laughs> go on, it's a each, each of the theories that he had have been turned into a very short story of about a page or two. Okay. One of those was all of time happening at once. Yes. Okay. And lots. You need to read it if you're going to write stories about Doctor Who. You could nick every single one of those theories and put them into a story, and they would all work. Yeah. And I'm sure every time he does something, I think, I bet he's read that book. <laughs> he's just mm-hmm. dipping in again. Right, let's use this one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does make me feel... You know, also, Stephen Moffat's an avowed fan of both the sort of early to mid-1960s Doctor Who, hence the TARDIS taking on the sort of Peter Cushing dimensions mm-hmm. now, yeah. and also of Peter Davis and Doctor Who. And mm. Obviously, he was a reader of Doctor Who magazine at the time, mm. because all of time happening at once is the way the Tides of Time starts. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the most famous of the comic strips from yeah, Doctor Who magazine, and that was Peter yeah. Davison's first series. That would have been 1981 or 82. Yeah. That was a great strip. Yeah, and that the way that story starts is well exactly how I would have started a Time War story, I suppose. But it's also essentially the same way as the Wedding of River Song starts. And before people start thinking I hate the Wedding of River Song, I gave that one ten out of ten. I absolutely thoroughly loved that story. Mm-hmm. I, as mad as it was, <laughs> as senseless as it was, as stupid as it was, it was great. Wow. Well, we're going to need to talk about that in another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because it'd be interesting to see why you think it's so great. Well, I've just said it's just mad and stupid. And <laughs> I quite like a bit of mad and stupid. Yeah, that's yeah. the end of story. <laughs> a bit more depth, really, is what I was looking for, but never mind. Um, Read the damn review then, mister. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find out why I liked it. Where would I read that exactly? On the website. Starburstmagazine.com. Go into the reviews, look for Doctor Who reviews, and click on The Wedding of River Song. See what I did there? Seamlessly done. Yeah. Monoids, how about them? Bring those back. Are we actually going to talk about Cybermen with any great... Do you know, I've, I've done my Cybermen bit. Anybody else got anything to say about the Cybermen? I think I mean... they're rubbish. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you what, we could. it'd be great. You know, they um, uh, said that... Um, it's Age of Steel, I think, was all the right yeah, the first yeah, one yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was based on... Spare parts were supposed to be, yeah. How? It wasn't really. I've listened to Spare Parts, and it is brilliant. It was inspired by Spare Parts rather than based on Spare Parts. Mm, Just do Spare Parts. It is brilliant. Mm. I think it's too late now, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, I don't think so. We could still do it. I mean, it's got Mondas on it, and uh, in it, rather, and uh, (laughs) Mondas on it, in it. But I don't know if it's it's the original, it's kind of half baked. Yeah. I think the trouble is, in the public's mind, the Cybermen exist. Yeah. So to do an origin story for the Cybermen now, I mean, I know it's a show about time travel, but work. there are certain conventions that it does follow. To redesign them, it would be really good to use Or story. alternately, you could do it as a special. Yeah. Anniversary year next year, why not have Easter next year, one episode entirely by itself, 60 minutes, spare parts, origins of the Cybermen. For all Lovely. you people who like the Cybermen, this is where they came from. Yeah, 
definitely agree with that. Stephen Moffat, we may be coming for you with pitchforks, but listen to our <laughs> podcast. We are giving you good stuff here. And make them talk like this, please. Because <laughs> I really like those voices. Those... Oh, the original Cyberman voices. Yes, they would go up and down. It was... It was... What was that all about? The little tiny... It was supposed to sound like a computer where each oh, yeah. syllable of the word was cut from a you know different bit of tape or yeah. whatever. I like that. I thought it was great. It worked. I don't know I don't know if you could do that these days. I suppose you could, uh, with modern technology, actually do each syllable separately and paste them all together. But you wouldn't like be able to understand a word they were like saying. It would like wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, that kind of vocoder thing. Do you on. believe in life after love? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Essentially>. <laughs> I'm never joining you in a karaoke session. <laughs> they should cybertize us. That's your choice, Mark. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Why do I think Cybermen are rubbish? Yeah. Okay, there's this great concept at the heart of the Cybermen. The fact that they were people who've replaced bits of themselves with mm. robotic parts. And every single story since, they have just been robots. Yeah, you're right. Uh, not not there... quite. I mean, the, 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 new, the new series. Uh, I don't think it that. really did. In the uh, next Doctor, you had a bit of it with Lady Hardigan. Yeah, and Doomsday as well. Uh, you know, in Doomsday, I don't know. Torchwood Leader, what's her name? Yeah, the, the hard woman. Yeah, yeah. She cries a, a a piece of oil out of her eye. Yeah, I mean, but that's that, that, but, was, that was a bit of ooh, oh, yeah, the but queen and country. <clears throat> but that and paid lip I'm... service to the idea without. Re- okay. It's like show and tell. That paid lip service to the idea without actually putting the idea really properly on screen. But also, there was the emotion inhibitor in the first two. Agent I know. Jill, you had, Rise of the yeah. Cybermen. Um, but what I'm saying is, those first two, you just saw the Cybermen stomping around. And at the end, you get a scene. How do we get rid of the Cybermen? Oh, flick this switch, give it an excuse, and they all go mad and die. That's Doctor Who, mate. (laughs) Well, (laughs) pretty much every episode. (laughs) It is, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, there are other monsters that I prefer to the Cybermen who have basically just become generic robots that every now and again we say, oh, but they were humans once, and look, they can cry tears of oil. What would make you jump up and down with joy? You know, Cyberman story, the, the perfect Cyberman story for you. What would make you go, yes, that's what I wanted? Oh, oh, for sure, one that had Daleks in instead of Cybermen. <laughs> that's, an, that's, that's a cop out. <laughs> 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 that's a real cop out. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, it is. Mark, how about you? What, about, what do you think of the Cybermen? Like? If I give you uh, a serious answer, spare parts, I guess. Yeah, mm. I think so. Yeah. I think they've had sort of relaunches over the years. One of the most effective ones for me was Earthshock. Yeah, but only because it was a surprise. Yeah. I mean, take away that surprise element, and what's Earthshock got that any other Cyberman story doesn't have, apart from a Cyberman who is a robot on a spaceship in outer space for some obscure reason, sending down androids, which are robots that the other robots control, down to Earth because the robots who are in outer space can't come down to Earth to do the thing that yeah. they need the robots who they've sent down to Earth to do. I don't think about it that much. I just sit down and enjoy it. Well, I don't yeah. think about it. I, I just think, see it. I think there lies the, the difference between certain people watching Doctor Who and what their experiences are. Some watch it for the feeling. You just It's just great to watch because, it, oh, it's Doctor Who. I love it. It's a cyber. I used to watch it like that. I never looked at it in any intellectual way necessarily. 
now as an adult, I do. So I go back and I revisit them on a different plane. Yeah. Um, also, I think there's a, a bit of a nostalgia factor as well. If, yeah. If it was a story that really affected sort of you your imagination when you were a kid. as a kid, yeah, yeah, you tend to look at it differently as an adult as you compared to stories. Yeah. That yeah. No doubt. You and <clears> unfortunately, <throat> I, you know, as an adult, we naturally pick it apart because we've got the intelligence to do it. So I, I do get disheartened when I see stories that I really like and go, "Oh, that wouldn't. Oh, that wouldn't work." Hey, but podcast <laughs> listeners. What you don't realise is, here's Lee on my left, here's Mark on my right, here's JR in the middle, and together our combined age is 36 years old. We are all 12. <laughs> we might sound a bit older, but we're not. We're actually three 12-year-olds <laughs> talking right. to you about Doctor Who. Mentally. Definitely. You love it. I love it anyway. Hey, R- Wedding of River Song took me back to eight years old again. Did it? Oh my God, man. A bit where he's in the cave <laughs> with the skulls and the heads and oh, all that stuff. It was That's fantastic. Like yeah. yeah. If if Russell T Davies has done Scooby Doo as a live action television show with <laughs> monsters and aliens and ghosts and people running around and in a TARDIS instead of a pickup truck or whatever, then Stephen Moffat has done Indiana Jones as science fiction. Brilliant. But that's what it is. It is. Russell T Davies yeah. did Scooby Doo. Stephen Moffat's doing Indiana Jones. And even the last Indiana Jones film had a spaceship that takes off and flies off into outer space at the end and i'm waving at the spaceship as it goes thinking somewhere on that spaceship Stephen moffat is sitting there with a notepad mm. well the end of the uh, wedding of river song is very indiana jones when he has oh, yeah yeah and i've got a, i've got a little problem with river song actually that she should have been called benny summerfield yeah you know because it's the same character well, but the all... only reason, you know, I think it's the name, River Song, played such a major part within that arc, story arc. Well, he must have built that whole story arc around, around the, the name, name. because yeah. he already had the name long yeah. before he had yeah. the arc. Which is why I kept thinking, why isn't it just Bernie Summerfield? Or, you know, you could have brought him in. There is an actress that plays her. You could have had her in. Or you could but have cast it with somebody else. Because you, you know, River Song is now... But Bernie Summerfield is owned by Virgin, isn't she? I've no idea. Or somebody, I'm assuming. Well, probably Paul Cornell, yeah. yeah. But she's done by Virgin and also Big Finish. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Mm. But then it's like when they did the um, Easter special, Planet of the Dead, with uh, Lady Christina D'Souza, and they, you know, wrote the character that um, Andrew Cartmel had written into the story that would have opened season 27 that never got to film. Oh, really? Yeah, it was exactly the same character. Completely different name. Didn't pay any copyright money. But it was a lady cat burglar, which is exactly what Andrew Cartmel wrote into, or Ben Aronovich had written into the first story of the season 27 that got nixed in 1990. That would have been quite interesting. I don't know how that would have worked with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, though, I've got to say. Well, I can't see it either, to be honest. You look at the four stories that they said they had in place. I think I'm right in saying that Big Finish, they're doing this whole series. They've done it, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. So they're doing the lost But they've also been rewritten to... I've not heard any of them, but from what I've heard, they've been rewritten just enough to make them, you know, work for people who like the new series, I guess. I've heard Mm. some of the Tom Baker ones. They're very good. Mm. Yeah, but that's not just lost season 27, is it? Well, they've got they've got the foe from the future, which I would have been it, Seeds of Doom. Yeah, that's yes. But what I'm saying is, well, there's a returning like creature that I'd like to see back. Mm. The Crinoids. I love the Crinoids. I know that they've been used in many other B movie, and 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 the Thing obviously is is, yeah. is that, and, and the Thing from Outer Space, which was the old 
black and white um, film based, I think, also on a short story by possibly Wade uh, Bradbury or somebody like that. I can't remember. No, it wasn't Bradbury. It wasn't it was, Oh, yeah, I know. I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah, we remember. The story was called "Who Goes There." That's right. Yeah, and uh, you know they they stole that, but they did a really good job of it. And those two episodes in the Antarctic, and then back back with Chase, who's a great villain. He's one of my favourite villains. Crinoids are great. You can you can have them doing anything anywhere. They are literally just a vegetable creature. Yeah, but you could build it. They don't have to be the main. But they'd plot. be like the Mara in respect of you can just have the name. And mm. use the creature and take the basic template and mm. make your own story out of it. Totally, yeah. I'm surprised they haven't used it. There are a lot of things like that in Doctor Who. Mm. At the, you know, they could. It isn't like Rusty Davis using the macro, using the name the macro when, you know, it was really pretty irrelevant. Yeah. But just throwing it in. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. The crinoids, they could do that. But then again, it's like you also have to say, at some point, why would they? Why not? Well, the only reason to bring a monster back from the past is because it has something specific that you want to use, like the Daleks, the iconography, mm. same with the Cybermen, and, you know, Sontarans and um, the Silurians, the popularity, and then the Autons, the flexibility. But, I mean, if you're going to write a story about a plant creature, you don't necessarily have to call it a crinoid. And most authors probably want to stamp their own identity on it and just call the plant creature, you know, what their name for it would be. But it isn't just a plant creature, is it? It's something that takes over your body. Yeah. Uh, and then, then you become it. But then so in could, the... the transformation of that could be quite horrible. I mean, we did see a little bit of a transformation of of, uh, of, of, of somebody's veins turning green in the hungry earth. And it's just very But there was amount. a period in the mid-70s when they did a lot of transformation stories. The Ark yeah. in Space is another one. Yeah, yeah. And again... That's like, well, it was an insect that time, but it's a man turning into a green thing and you're seeing yeah. all sorts of changes. I want a man turning into a green thing. Well, that was kind of a phase the series went through and at the moment it's all timey-wimey. So, yeah, less timey-wimey, please. More more adventure stories. Thank you. Less timey-wimey, more greeny-weeny. <laughs> okay, so can we have one, one <clears throat> monster very quickly then? Who would you bring back? I'd bring back the Zygons. I'd bring back the Draconians. I'll go crazy. I'll just say the Sea Devils. <laughs> hey! Wow. <Well. laughs> Well, I believe it's the end of another podcast. Is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, more or less. Yeah. Um, well, we should say, you know, thank you to Wesley Smith again for the theme tune. Yeah, brilliant. And, uh, okay, I suppose we'll give out the Twitter address again if you want to get in touch about anything that you've heard on this podcast. And, you know, please don't be too abusive. <laughs> you can find me at JR underscore Southall. Oh, and I should say as well, I suppose we'd be putting up a Facebook page. So, Blue Box Podcast. Look for us on Facebook. And, you know, no doubt by the time you hear this, we'll be there. Absolutely, yeah. I quite welcome anybody's uh, views and uh, ideas about... Uh, as long as you're kind. As long as you're kind, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind. You can be abusive as you like. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Direct those towards Lee. <laughs> yeah, Lee quite happily take any sort of abuse, especially if it's physical. Yeah, absolutely. And on that bombshell... <laughs> right. Well, I was JR. I'm Lee. And I'm Mark. And this was the Blue Box Podcast brought to you by Starburst Magazine, which you can find at starburstmagazine.com. Toodaloo. Cheerio.